it is definitely part of our wider produce story as well so it's the same fish that's coming in that's getting prepped and landing on plates so people are eating that fish they can take that fish print home we're using um, fish in ceramics as well and so yeah we're definitely it's this bigger look about local produce which is all about what we're doing today on dirty linen we are heading to the northern rivers region of new south wales to pottsville and to chat to yen trin from pippet restaurant I already know something that's going to happen in this conversation. I am going to have a desperate urge to head to Pippet where I haven't eaten. But just doing a little bit of research for this chat with Yen, I've gone down a few rabbit holes. They're all interesting. Everything looks delicious. And I'm really keen to hear about how you're going, Yen, through this interesting period of this most interesting year, 2020. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So... I guess I, I've been watch, looking at your illustrations that you've been doing. You've got this um, series of illustrations called uh, Chef Widow Club. And it's, uh, let's start there. Tell, tell us about that. Well, I, I would say that I'm a bit accidentally in hospitality. Um, I didn't know anything about it until I started dating a chef, which was Ben. And um, people think it's really glamorous and I don't think it actually is so um yeah the slang of chef's widow is that you're often alone because they're working so much um and so I guess that's it, it, it was sort of looking at some of the harder issues around relationships and how do people make it work so I guess that's where the topic started um because you've got a background as a as a graphic designer and you do illustration as well. So did that sort of creative representation of these relationships feel like a natural thing for you to do? Yeah, it kind of it kind of started out of just um, what Ben had cooked for me um, when we were first dating and I just found and then I was just asking other people. So it was just a bit of a creative ex exercise to document these stories. Um, and often, and I guess it was about showing sort of the human side of hospitality. Um, it was always a topic that was interesting to me, but it became an illustration project around COVID. Um, we, yeah, I guess we had to sort of face some negative stuff and I, I sometimes, people sometimes don't realise there's family businesses behind there, there's couples, there's passionate chefs behind all these restaurants. And it was about sort of showcasing some of that around that time, just wanting to show that there's, real people behind this stuff um and they just ended up being really beautiful stories too and so as a illustration project they're just stories that don't get told um you don't hear about often most couples don't remember some of the dishes and so it's it's been interesting to hear them and and also show them in a different way because people also don't have photos of these dishes a lot of them yeah that's so true it's i guess those moments early in any relationship, I guess, get swallowed up by the story that people create together and it's not something that is generally archived as you go. I guess perhaps, you know, in these modern times when we take photos every five seconds, perhaps more than in the past, but I'm sure you've had some really interesting conversations of people have thought back to those first meals that have been cooked by their, their chef partner. What are some of the stories that have really stuck for you? I guess so. I yeah. I'm we we look at all kinds of couples. So I'm definitely interested in ones like myself who are like non hospitality to chefs, um, but also 
sort of now working in a re- restaurant, I find that the chefs and chefs couples who work together is a really interesting dynamic that also you don't see often. So a lot of those guys, um, they were commonly the ones who forgot their dishes because they're cooking around each other so much. Um, so that was kind of interesting <laughs> that they were the ones who would forget. Um, um, I guess some of the stories I've loved is also when the dishes landed on real menus as well. So that's really fun. And that's kind of the stories that I don't think guests also know. So um, tea and anchovy is one of those dishes where it, it's on their real menu. Um, but I'm sure their guests don't know about it. <laughs> it's interesting because, of course, the idea of a chef widow presupposes this idea of a man who's the chef and a woman who's the widow but you know T and JY that you just mentioned that they're a lesbian couple I mean how have you sort of thought about that I mean do you feel like the idea of a chef widow in some ways embeds the idea that the guy's the chef and the woman isn't yeah that is true and like we definitely um in reaching out and trying to get diversity um yeah we've definitely gotten female chefs um I guess sometimes I find husbands aren't as great at sharing the story, so I think women are still great at sharing that. But, yeah, we've got female chefs with stories from husbands and um, as well as, yeah, same-sex couples as well. We were looking across um, also people dating as well as people married, so just sort of also how relationships change over time. Um, And it's different when you've got kids and all that sort of stuff. So it's looking at a couple of different dynamics. What's your story with that? What's your dish? Uh, my dish was um, pasta. So it's something that Ben really loved making as an apprentice and it's still something he makes at home. So that's kind of one of his five dishes. Um, and we we were early on in the dating where it was kind of hard to find things to do. We had this sort of alphabet game. So it was like one week the activity was around A and, you know, through all the letters of the alphabet. So we were C week, um, and so he made me calamari pasta. He cooked for me, so that was C week. Wow. What did X week end up being? I don't know. Um, I'm sure we should have documented all this stuff at some stage, but, yeah, I don't really remember. I remember things like B. We were at a, a bar that was called Bowery. Um, I don't remember X. <laughs> I would just think this makes me think of it because whenever we play those games in the car on long trips with the kids, X is always the one that you get stuck on, whether it's thinking of a food or a country or an animal. X is always the stumbling block. Yeah, I have no idea now. I'll have to ask him. I actually don't remember. Um, so for people like me who haven't been to Pippet, can you give us a little rundown on what sort of restaurant it is? Well, it's changed a little bit. So since COVID reopening, we are set menu only. Um, we we used to do a la carte before that. Um, but we're all about Northern Rivers produce, um, a lot of seafood, lots of vegetables. Um, we do and poultry. Um, we don't do red meat. Um, and it's very much a reflection of our area. We're right on the beach, so it's very coastal and very light. And those, that's the kind of vibe and menu we have. And it's an open kitchen, isn't it? So all the sort of workings of the restaurant are very evident to anyone who's there. Yeah. So um, open kitchen, part of that was really um, Ben wanting like a counter sort of design. So we have 12 seats that sit around the open bar and kitchen and you can watch the chefs and and have a chat to them. Um, And then we've got sort of tables and a courtyard area as well. 
And how do you balance your life between the restaurant and your graphic design work and, of course, being a parent? I, I'm i sort of behind the scenes of the restaurant, which is kind of a full-time job, really, but it's more at night time um, and the weekends. And then I also do a graphic design job um, three times a week. Uh, yeah, three times a week. Um, I guess that was kind of, you know, part of this Chef Widow's thing as well. I mean... Uh, Coming not from hospitality and owning your restaurant, it was always a question of where I fit into that. You know, am I just the wife? Am I the admin person? Am I, you know, am I working service? Am I the manager? So all this sort of stuff um, I'm still probably trying to figure out. But for me, it was really important to keep my own design stuff. Um, I don't think I'd be, you know, if I wasn't married to Ben, I probably wouldn't be in the restaurant game at all. So I guess I'm new to it and still learning it. For As an outsider... What do you think of this crazy hospitality world? What does it look like to you? It is, yeah, so my background's very corporate. Um, I guess I, I've i been working in government and sort of projects where you're in Commonwealth Games and things that you're planning like two years out. Um, and so, and Ben in the kitchen is working, you know, two hours out, you've got to get ready for service. And so I see such a difference in how planning is done and... Um, I guess also how teams work are very different. Um, I remember hearing something about uh, another podcast saying that kitchens work on on a clock about time and service, whereas I think other industries work on a calendar. So just the sense of time is very different. And so that's been interesting. That's a really great point. Can you talk talk about what you've seen in teams? How are teams different in corporate life and hospitality? Well, yeah, so for me, working in government where you're like, you know, there's there's thousands of people in a local government kind of area. I think the level of accountability is different, whereas you're in a kitchen of six people and you're all accountable in service and things just have to get done. So absolutely, I think hospitality teams are just very good at um, Mm -hmm. being fast and decision-making and accountability, which is very different in a local government where there's multiple levels of managers and you can pass the blame or you don't have to take responsibility as much. So um, that's very different, I think. That's really interesting because, you know, here in Victoria we've been looking at the hotel quarantine inquiry and it really goes to exactly what you're saying where despite uh, a lot of investigation and tens of thousands of documents, it hasn't been able to be determined, you know, uh, who actually made a decision to hire security guards. Personally, I don't think it's like the most important thing to be spending time and resources on but it is interesting it sort of goes to what you're saying that probably if um someone in a restaurant was uh there had to make the decision to hire security guards they would have been uh, made accountable everyone would have known who it was yeah um and I think that's also that teamwork is probably what's kind of got us through COVID as well like I think the ability and you see it across the industry the people getting together and adapting and all that I think that's that's a very unique trait to the industry, the, the ability to pivot and all that sort of stuff, yeah. which you might not get in bigger organisations and I, maybe even in bigger restaurant groups. You know, that ability to change was probably very different to us where we had six people and you could just, you could just do it. Um, it makes me think that there must be something different in boundaries as well when you've got those small teams in those intense environments where you are sort of working to the clock rather than the calendar. Does that sort of make sense to you? 
Yeah, I think it's also about um, working towards a shared vision. So, you know, even in it's getting something on a plate to go out to people, like the teams all work towards the same vision. Whereas if you're in a bigger organization and you're not agreeing on something, um, doing a project or not, then that's probably where uh, the focus is so tight in restaurants, I think. That, that's mm -hmm. what makes them work better. Yeah. So tell us how Pippet has got through 2020 with all the changes that you've had to deal with. So I guess, yeah, right at the beginning, uh, like many others, we we adapted to takeaway. So we, but we were, yeah, we're sort of fine dining set menu. We kind of knew at that point that we couldn't put that in a box to be takeaway. It was going to compromise what Ben wanted to do as well. So we kind of knew at that point our food wasn't going to work. Um, so we did put out a poll to our community. So we are, we're a small town and um, everyone's sort of on this Facebook group and it was, we're not like a city where there's heaps of, there's heaps of choices. Um, and so it was just asking the town what kind of restaurant they wanted, what kind of takeaway did they want, because you could kind of make anything. Um, and that's when they voted Vietnamese. So we ended up doing Vietnamese, which is my cultural heritage as well, which is totally coincidental and I didn't rig the vote um, at all. Um, so, yeah, we did Vietnamese for, I don't know, that was three months or so. I've, I've forgotten at this point. Um, and then, and that was just really, yeah, that was really positive at that point where everything was kind of locked down. And then we went back to dining when it reopened to 10 people and and that was when it became set menu only. We dropped a la carte, we tightened every menu up um, and all that sort of stuff. So, and we've adjusted to new seatings because of table restrictions and stuff. So operationally it has changed. And now we're even in a new stage where there's an outbreak in the northern beaches of Sydney. There are now border restrictions between Sydney and Queensland. You're very close to the Queensland border. How has that affected you? Yeah, we're definitely seeing a bunch of cancellations this week. Um, so yeah, since March, I've because I have another job on the Gold Coast, so I I do cross the border pretty much weekly. And so it's kind of normal to me at this point. Um, but I suppose generally the messaging around the state government has been pretty confusing. So when they say borders close, it's it's Queensland closing to New South Wales, not the other way around. And so there was never been a southbound check so people can drive down to us with no border control. But that's been really confusing, I don't think. And even for people in Brisbane, so my family's there, even those sort of people have found it confusing as well. Um, you need a pass on the way home. And so just generally the messaging and the impression of closed borders has probably been misunderstood a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, we've just pretty much lost Queensland, I guess. Because, I mean, do people need to get a permit before they leave Queensland to be able to get back in? Yeah, yeah, that's so, and it's pretty been pretty automatic. So, but recently they've kind of, put this notice that it takes three days when really it's a bit quicker than that. And so that's also scared people off. But yes, it's an online process that you're meant to get. You print it out, you put it on your car at the northbound check. It slows down to one traffic lane and that's when they're checking for printed passes. If you don't have a pass, you get pulled over. And, and that's usually been okay. Like it's been you know, a 15-minute add-on to my commute. But when it gets bad and when it changes, then it's, oh, it's two hours and all of a sudden the traffic's backed up. And so every time it's changed, it's sort of created some confusion and um, that's where the traffic happens. 
So before borders to Queensland reopened, when was it? It was only in November, wasn't it? Were you still able to go back and forth to your job on the Gold Coast? Yeah, so that I, I was, I've always been fine to get up there. Um, there was sort of the period of the border bubble kind of phase where I couldn't go to Brisbane, my family couldn't go down, where you could only sort of travel between Pottsville and the Gold Coast. There was that period of time. That was probably the tightest restriction. Um, but other than that, it hasn't affected me when I'm living close to the border. It starts to affect people from Brisbane and Byron just sort of sitting outside of that. That was also confusing. At the time. I mean, it's so it's so crazy, isn't it? If you think of, you know, if we were trying to have this discussion a year ago and imagining that all these things were going to happen, that, you know, you wouldn't be able to visit your family in Brisbane. We just, we just could not have conceived of any of this. No. And and even now, like now that it's come back, I've just uh, kind of just given up predicting it. Actually, it's just a bit, you kind of just have to go with it. So even this time, it's just like, oh, it's back. You can't do anything about it. It is what it is. Uh, so how far, how much is business down? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say, but um, yeah, it's we've definitely had cancellations just in the last couple of days um, around, yeah, Gold, even Gold Coast people who are, yeah, half an hour away from us but still have to cross the border. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's a lot. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was the crazy weather that you've had in northern New South Wales recently. Did that hit you in Pottsville? Yeah, we the Tweed is definitely a low-lying area, so we do have – we weren't directly affected um, much, but, yeah, certainly around the Tweed River um, and these areas, there was some localised flooding, but uh, nothing more than usual. <laughs> yeah, just the usual uh, flood. Um, and, Yen, Ben and you obviously – really visually creative obviously there's the food um and one thing that's come out of COVID as well is these fish prints that ben has been doing can you talk about them yeah yeah that's taken a life on its own a little bit um it so it's a technique that um it's traditionally japanese where you're using the fish or other seafood as your printing press so you ink the fish um and then you're pressing over paper um, it's something that he's just wanted to do for ages and just never had the time to do. And then um, we had a blank wall to fill and so he did it for the restaurant and then it's kept going ever since. And it's all it's all fish that we're using in the restaurant anyway, so um, it's all sustainably sourced. Um, and now it's just sort of becoming more and more of, oh, let's try vegetables and a duck and all kinds of fun stuff. So... Um, yeah, he's really enjoying that I, I, and it's really nice to see him passionate about something and it's probably been a really nice mental health distraction to the craziness of this year for him as well. You can use um, just a normal printing ink that you buy at the art stores. Um, he also has other ones that the sort of more charcoal-based Japanese ones that come in sort of a stick form as well as um, he's been looking at making his own inks, so we've done some trials with the ash out of the charcoal grill into ink. So I suppose that's the bigger picture of trying to use other kitchen produce, um, you know, and making our own papers and all that kind of stuff as the bigger picture. Wow. It, it, 
it's just such a it just sounds like such a creative hotbed you guys this, this small restaurant and all this visual art going on as well can you talk about the way that some of these creative outlets can assist in mental health I guess for me it's always been really important to to do something creative even if I was in other jobs I would always sort of have some side hustle thing going on on the side um so for me I think it's just really attached to feeling like myself actually um and I think I, I see the same in him as well I mean I, w I would say there's a lot of similarities between designers and chefs in, in how they create and always sort of looking at other things and that sort of thing so I think it's just part of your personality and soul and sort of needing that outlet it's just a bit of fun and you know about expressing yourself I suppose mm. and is his artwork is it's, it's in the restaurant as well so do you think it's another way for customers to connect with the overall project of Pippet and and what you guys are doing there yeah, so we have um, started it as like an online poster shop as well. And so, yeah, we can you can buy it through our website. You can buy it in the dining room. Um, we're trying to get more originals um, framed and put up in the restaurant as well. And so, yeah, it is definitely part of our wider produce story as well. So it's the same fish that's coming in that's getting prepped and landing on plates. So people are eating that fish. They can take that fish print home. We're using um, fish... In ceramics as well and so yeah we're definitely it's this bigger this bigger look about local produce which is all about what we're doing um and I think it's also interesting so like when I sketch something it makes you just pay more attention to something and I find the same when he's printing of we were doing this fish this tuna I've never noticed what the fin does and how it kind of goes in and out and so I think the process of taking time to print something you're looking at it very differently as well so um it's it's learning about the animal at the same time as well as how oh, you get this print as well so it's it is probably all about sort of the learning and sharing about produce actually it's impossible not to really appreciate something when you have to you know look at its details so carefully isn't it like you ca you can't be like blasé about produce or about the fact that you've you've taken a fish's life just to eat it or you know and to create art from it when you look when you do observe it and you sort of honor it in that different way yeah um I so we did a he had uh through one of our duck suppliers had been given a duck and I've never looked at duck's duck's feet and the texture of it until you try to print it and see if it works and the softness of its feathers and what its beak feels like you know it's so yeah, I was learning just by looking at observing it more differently. So that's yeah, it's been really interesting. There's been a really great series of books that's come out this year, uh, Some Kind Press, and you've put out a book as part of their series. And I haven't seen the book, but it says it's a story in eight seasons. Now normally we think of our four seasons, but can you talk about dividing the seasons um, further into eight? Yeah. So that's. Um... Also how the menu structure of Pippet works, um, that it's eight, roughly eight. Um, and that's just about how produce comes in. So, yeah, we, we, we use four seasons as a calendar, but fruit or seafood seasons kind of overlap all that time and some start earlier and some start late. So um, it's basically splitting every four season into a early and late to get the eight. It must be really... <laughs> 
uh, tricky, I guess, when you your restaurant has to change the way it operates so much. When you know you're, you're closed down, you're suddenly pivoted to Vietnamese takeaway, and you see those seasons go by, seasons that you can't represent in the restaurant in the way that you would like to. Was that one of the challenges of 2020? Yeah, I think we also still were doing things in the background. So the book um, has a lot of preserved recipes and just as a principle of what we're doing in the kitchen about how you maximise what's happening in that time. And so that was still actually happening in the background. Um, We were still preserving things. He was still pickling, making sausages, trying to make the most of what was around. Um, So in the background it was probably still happening. Mm. It's funny, you know, I took a jar of duck riettes out of the fridge yesterday and put them through a pasta and I just – they were my lockdown riettes. Uh, I got a bit obsessed with duck through uh, our long winter and it was it was really, I really appreciated the feeling that I had while I was making those riettes months ago and the fact that I could eat them last night in a, you know, very different mindset. But there is something, I guess when you're preserving food, you're also preserving the moment that you made it in, aren't you? Yeah, Um yeah, I never really thought of it like that. But, yeah, he – and they're all dated and labelled. So, you, yeah, you'd come back to remembering that time that it was made. Um, some of them – the preserves really range, um, but he's got vinegars going on for years as well as some that are taken months of, to do. So it's just a lot of hoarding, actually, I think. And then at the, when the time's right, he'll use them. Um and actually, that was interesting during COVID where he had hoarded so much and was like saving it for a rainy day. Well, actually, let's just use them and let's make the most of them. So there was also a bit of that um, during COVID for him as well. Yeah, this is the rainy day. <laughs> um, yeah, and if, it, yeah, and if you were to sketch a plan for 2021, what do you think it would look like? Well, before the recent this week, um, it was all feeling pretty stable and optimistic and um we, it's been really difficult, but things that we have been able to do since has really helped us, like going to set menu and all that has been really great, getting more efficiencies around seatings and stuff. So, um, you know, I was, I'm optimistic for something, yeah, a much more stable year. I'm probably rethinking, I'm probably rethinking that a little bit this particular week, but yeah, overall optimistic. Well, I hope your optimism your optimistic vision is fulfilled um, that this Sydney cluster comes under swift control and we can go back to a little bit more normal, um, open borders, families that you can easily visit and Queenslanders that can come down to your restaurant without any concerns at all. Um, Yen, thank you so much for coming along today to have a chat to Dirty Linen. Really fantastic to get your perspective. No problem. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. It's, yeah, it's a really tricky one because, you know, from a government point of view, I can... (laughs)